Well, good morning to you all. Uh, a little story from last week. Whenever I get home from Sunday mornings, I usually ask my wife, how do you think the sermon went? And last week, she, she said, oh, I think it went well, and I like this, I like that. And then, and then she asked me this question. She said, what did you mean when you said that Jesus is breathing? What did you mean? And then I said, I didn't say that. And she said, yes, you did. I wrote it in my journal. It says, I put it in quotes, right? She, she writes this down and puts it in quotes. That means I said, I totally believe her. And, and it happened in the context, I was talking about Jesus being present, and somehow, someway, it, I got to Jesus' breathing. And I, I don't know what I meant. I, I, I don't, my, my wife asked me, what exactly did you mean by that? Were you trying to make a theological point? And I, I just said, I have no idea. And I, I bring up that point to raise the larger point of whenever Jesse and I are up here, we can and do say things that we don't always think through. Right, Jesse? Amen. 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 We are fallible people. So if you have questions pertaining to what it is that we say, if you have a concern, if you, have, if you need clarification, or if you want to talk about something that we've said, maybe you've never thought about something in the way that we've presented it, I just want to let you know that both Pastor Jesse and I want to hear from you. The sermon on Sunday morning is a monologue from the pastors to the congregation, but throughout the week we want the sermon to be a dialogue between us, the congregation, and between the congregation members themselves. So I share that story, that silly story, to share with you that we would love to hear from you if you have a question about something we say, if you have a concern. We always would like to visit with you about that. For this morning's sermon, we're tackling, we're continuing our Advent series, and this morning we will be investigating what the angels say to the Virgin Mary before Jesus is born. Our passage this morning is going to be from Luke 1. But before you turn there, I, I'm going to explore this passage. First, we're going to start in the Old Testament. We're going to start in Genesis 49. So why don't you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open there. Genesis 49. And the way that we're examining this, these passages, there are three passages in the early chapters of the Gospels in which the angels foretell to Joseph, we investigated that last week, to Mary and to the shepherds who this son would be, who this person, Jesus, would be. And the way that we examined that passage last week and the way that we'll examine it this week is in light of a particular, a specific definition of the gospel that I gave last week. And I defined the gospel last week and, I, and this week too. The gospel is this. What is the gospel? Such a fundamental question that we, we need to ask. This is my definition. The gospel is the story of the person and work of Christ in his first and second coming. What is the gospel? The gospel is the story of the person and work of Christ in his first and second coming. We're going to use that definition as the way to analyze these passages where the, where the angels tell 
Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds who Jesus is and what he will do. And I have two points for you this morning. The first point is this, Jesus is king. This first point we're going to explore the Old Testament expectation of pro- and promise that there is coming a king who descends from David, who is far greater than David, and whose person is divine. The Old Testament, what we're going to see as we explore the Old Testament, first starting with Genesis 49, what we are going to see is that the Old Testament has this promise. The promise starts in the very beginning passages of Scripture, and it goes throughout every book of the Old Testament. And the promise is this, that there is a coming king, and this king is unlike any other king. This king is the son of David, and he is the son of God. Read with me in Genesis 49, verse 9. Excuse me, begin in verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. To kind of set the context here a little bit, The book of Genesis begins with the story of Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve fall into sin, God gives a promise to Eve. And that promise is is that one of Eve's children, one of her boys, will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent who tempted and led to the fall in the early chapters of Genesis will one day be crushed. And that promise develops, that promise goes to Noah, and then to Abraham, and the promise expands in Abraham, and God gives a a, a different type of promise to Abraham, one that is consistent with the promise that he gave to Eve, but one that goes beyond it. And the story of Genesis is a tracing out of that promise. And at the end of Genesis, what happens is you find the promise going to Jacob, If you look at 49 verse 1, it says this, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. So when you get to Genesis 49 verse 1, the question that you ought to be asking is where is the promise going to go? Of of these sons... Of these 12 sons, this promise that began with Eve to Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, of these 12 sons, of whom will the promise go to? And in verse 8, we get the answer. The promise will go to Judah. See here in verse 8 how Judah is, is highlighted as a brother above his own, above his brother's. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. 
Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your fathers shall, shall bow down before you. Now, who do people obey and bow down before? Kings. This passage is specifying that either Judah or through Judah, this promise of a coming king. So now Eve's son is not just any son. Eve's son is now a king. There is a coming king. Look at verse 10. The, shept, the scepter, a scepter is a, a, an instrument that a king uses to rule. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So Judah will maintain this kingship. This kingship that is promised here will stay with the lineage of Judah. Now look at the type of kingship will come from Judah at the end of verse 10. Until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This king that will come from Judah is of such a type of king that people will obey him. What we see here is an expectation that goes beyond a normal king. There have been many kings. Kings come and kings go. But what we have here is an expectation of something more than an ordinary king. This kingship, this person who will descend from Judah and who will be a king, people will obey him. This is an exalted king, a king of kings, if you will. So after Judah, after this promise, this promise goes throughout all of Scripture. So we need to pick our entry points here. You can't cover all of Scripture. So the next entry point I want to, to, to discuss and dive into in this promise, in this development of a, a promised king, is 2 Samuel 7. Turn with me there. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We will be, we'll start in verse 12. The context here, the prophet Nathan gives to David a promise, a, a, a revelation from the Lord. And what we have here is we have this promise beginning with Eve, going to Judah, and it finds a, a, a different meaning in David. What we will see is that after David, we begin to expect a Davidic king. As the Old Testament progresses and the story grows and the promise develops, this king becomes, begins to be understood as a Davidic king. Let's start in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will dis discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. 
And your house and your kingdom shall be established, excuse me, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, part of this passage can and is fulfilled by Solomon. Solomon is the, the Davidic king who builds the first temple. So at the end of verse 12, excuse me, verse 13, he shall build a house for my name. Solomon does that. Solomon fulfills that. And then in verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. That too is referring to Solomon and other Davidic kings that come after Solomon. But what we have here is there is an expectation in this passage that is not fulfilled by Solomon. We have an expectation in this passage that no earthly ruler can or does fulfill. Verse 16. And your house... And your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, why, why can't a normal person fulfill that? It's because Davidic kings die. They're just like us. So for this to be truly fulfilled, what you need is you need an eternal king. You need a king who can sit on the throne forever. There's this expectation. Judah, people will obey this, this king who comes from Judah. This promise goes from David to David. Now it becomes a Davidic king. Now the, David's lineage matters. But what must come from David is something that goes beyond a normal king. There's something more that the Old Testament is pushing us towards. One more passage. Daniel 7, verse 13. Now we go into the latter prophets. What do we find here? What do the prophets say? Daniel 7, verse 13. Daniel here describes a vision that he has. And the vision goes like this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Okay, so this is a person. This is a man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days here, this is the God of the Old Testament. This is another name given to God. And was presented before him. And to this man, to this son of man, what is it that's given? He is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What is happening here is the Davidic kingship is expanding and this Davidic kingship is not just over Israel.
all peoples, verse 14, all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Not just Jews, but you and me, Gentiles, people from all nations, tribes, and languages. And I want to link this to what, what, what Jacob promises Judah. Remember that, that promise of people will obey him? What are these peoples from every, all peoples, nations, and language, what do, they, what do they do for this king? This king who is given an eternal dominion. What does the text say they do for him? They serve him. In other words, they worship him. Connecting the Judah promise with this promise. So I, 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 the purpose of this Old Testament survey is to show you from the very beginning of Genesis is that there is an expectation and a promise that is developing. It begins with Eve and it goes all the way through the Old Testament. And that promise and expectation is this. There is coming a king who will reign and rule over the whole world. Now this king is a son of David, descended from Judah, going back to Abraham and through Noah and to Eve. But this is not just a, another son of David king. This king is also special. We might even say God himself. He is divine. He is a king of kings. That's what the Old Testament points us towards. If you read the Old Testament correctly, that's the conclusion that you come to after Malachi. There is a coming king. Now, who is he? Where is he? Well, the angel knows. Let's go to Luke 1. Where is this long-promised Messiah who will reign not just over Jews, but over me and you? Luke 1, verse 30. I'll read through verse 33. This is the angel speaking. Actually, let's, let's jump to verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So from this passage, I want to show you three things. I want to show you the kingship. I want to show you that the main purpose in the, in the angel sharing with Mary what, what he does about her son is that the son is going to be a king. Verse 32, we get most of our information from verse 32. The second sentence, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Now why are thrones given? What, what, what is this, this notion of a throne? Is it actually talking about a physical throne? No, it is not. It is talking about the idea of power and authority. This baby boy who is in Mary's womb, what will happen to him is he will grow into be a king. 
He will have leadership and he will rule as a king. And the way this is communicated in the passage is the angel says to Mary that God will give this boy a throne. He will rule a baby. And then verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Whatever this boy is, he has kingship in his blood. He is going to be a king. Now he's a certain type of king. There have been and there will be many types of kings. What is it that makes this king that Mary has in her, in her womb, what is it that makes him special? Two things. He is a son of David. Verse 33 again. What type of throne is given to this boy? It is the throne of his father David. It does not say here that Jesus, this boy, is a son of David, but by implication it does. To have David as his father means that Jesus is being placed within this lineage. Think here, Davidic kingdom. 2 Samuel 7. So this boy shows up who is born of a virgin. And the angel starts describing him in terms of 2 Samuel 7. And so as you read this, there's this expectation. Is this him? Is this, this, is this the king that is promised in 2 Samuel 7? Now for that to be true, this must also be a divine king. This king must not just be a man. He must be something more than that. And what, what is that third element that we find here? We find that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 32 again. He will be great. And he will be called Son of the Most High. Look down at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. This is different. This is unique. This isn't like every other Davidic king who has come. He is the Son of God. Now, you and I, if, if, if we are Christians, we are children of God. In this room, there are sons of God and daughters of God. But this coming king is a son of God in a different sense. Notice the eternality of his rule. Going back to verse 32. Excuse me, verse 33. How long will his reign over Israel be? Forever. It will never end. Kings come and kings go. But this boy is not like those types of kings. This boy will be a king and he will be in the lineage of David. But what separates him from other Davidic kings, what makes him the fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7 and all of the Old Testament is that he is the divine king. Jesus Christ is both man and God. And the reason why his reign and rule lasts forever is because he lives forever. His person is eternal. He is divine. Jesus here is the fulfillment the angel is communicating to Mary. That what Mary has in her womb 
that baby boy who is in her stomach is the long-promised fulfillment for all that the Old Testament is pointing towards. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. And we find him showing up as a baby in a manger. And that's what we remember during Christmas. That is his person. Now, what does the passage say about what he does? So here I'm segueing into my second point. Don't worry, it's not three points, it's just two today. Write this, Jesus reigns. What does he do? Who he is, Jesus is king. And what does he do? He reigns. He reigns, verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Now what we studied in the Old Testament, yes, Jesus is the king of Israel, but the true king of Israel, the true king of David, his dominion goes beyond Israel. Yes, he is Israel's promised Messiah and the fulfillment of all that God promises to Israel. That is true. But his reign and rule goes beyond Israel. His reign and rule goes to both Jew and Gentile. You and me. Now the degree of Jesus' reign and rule, Christians have a different take on it. The fact that we still die communicates to us that Jesus' reign and rule is not full. We are longing for his second coming. One day he will come again and he will establish his kingdom forever. But right now we wait. Right now we are in between the first and the second coming. The first and the second advent. But nonetheless, Jesus is reigning and ruling right now. Jesus reigns and rules over the world right now. Now, how do I know this? How do we see this in the world? I'd like us to draw attention to our our historical point, where we are in the stretch of history. So here we are reading a passage, reading a text, reading a Bible passage that was written some 2,000 years ago. And here we are today, preparing ourselves for Christmas. We come to hear the person and work of Christ uplifted and proclaimed. But dear friends, we didn't warp speed from 0 AD when Jesus was born to today. There is a history there. There is a long history. And if you think about how Christianity developed, it started as a small little group. It started with a baby in a manger. And yet now, Gentiles, what we do is we come and we worship this king. How did we get from point A to point B? This didn't just happen. It took blood, sweat, and tears for the gospel to get from there to here. Small town, Pierre, South Dakota. And yet what you have is you have this Jesus, this person, who we come and worship being proclaimed. That didn't just happen. The reason why that happened is because Jesus is reigning and ruling. His word that all peoples will worship him is happening right now. 
your desire in your heart, the conviction that you feel about the person and work of Christ is evidence of his reign and rule. He reigns and rules by means of his word. He establishes churches and leads this word to being proclaimed and defended. And this word didn't just drop from heaven. This Bible, to get this Bible to us today, is a tremendous privilege. The vast majority of Christians have never been able to open up their Bibles printed in such clean paper and read from the text. These Bibles cost about $2. That wasn't always the case. This week I was reading to my kids from, from this book. It is called Epic, an around-the-world journey through Christian history. It's a very good book. If you're looking for a, a gift to give a parent or for your own children, this is a good book. I would encourage you to get it and read it for your, for your family. And, and the author concludes by investigating the YouVersion Bible app. The YouVersion Bible app. Now, this YouVersion Bible app was created around 2010, and it has been downloaded and put on, I, I think the number was something like 600 million devices. And, and at the conclusion of this article, the, the author draws attention to where he started, so he starts very early, to where he ends. So he ends with the YouVersion Bible app, and he begins very early, in the, second or, the first or second century. And so this is his conclusion of this specific article and the whole book. Our brief and very limited survey of church history has shown that for the most part of the history of Christianity, access to God's word has been scarce. Historically, the Bible has been both rare and expensive. But in our digital world, the Bible can be infinitely duplicated and distributed at no cost. We live in a time of transition from an era of Bible scarcity to an era of Bible abundance. As the internet extends to the farthest reaches of the earth, so too does the reach of God's word. Dear friends, how is Jesus reigning and ruling in this world right now? The way he is reigning and ruling is by examples like this. Right now, in languages and in places where we don't even know, Jesus Christ is being worshipped by people who we have no idea about. As Brother John Stroman has done, taking the gospel to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. This is evidence that what God says in Daniel 7 that Jesus' reign and rule being for all peoples is being fulfilled right now in your own hearts, in this church, and in every other church that preaches the gospel. What started with a little baby boy is overtaking the whole world and will one day, one day, this is what the prophet Habakkuk said, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
that is happening right now. And for some application, for, for Jesus' reign and rule to not just be historical and out there, but for you in your heart, for Jesus' reign and rule to be intimate for you, I have some application. This year has been so hard for many of you, specifically with reference to fear, this idea of fear. For many of you, fear of getting COVID, of passing COVID to a loved one, of becoming sick, of missing work, has troubled many of you. And also the, the, the state of our nation, the election and what's transpired before and after that. So many of you are, are troubled and fearful. You're fearful for the future. You're fearful for your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. Listen to this news clip. During the hardest moments of a particularly difficult year, Bible searches soared online and a record number of people turned to scripture for passages addressing fear, healing, and justice. The popular YouVersion Bible app saw searches increase by 80% in 2020, totaling nearly 600 million views worldwide. This verse, Isaiah 41.10, was the most searched verse on this Bible app. Isaiah 41.10 ranked as the most searched, read, and bookmarked verse on the app, and this is what it says. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. This year, people have sought to find from God's word security. Maybe you have used this app to look up this passage. Well, within that context, what it is I want to insert is this king, this Lord, this son of David and son of God. One of the benefits that kings bring to their people is safety and security. Safety and security. That's one benefit to having a king. And what it is that we get with Jesus is a king who knows it all, who doesn't just know it all, but has been over it all who is reigning and ruling and whose reign and rule does not depend on who's in the White House. Oh, it doesn't matter. Whose reign and rule does not depend on a vaccine. Whose reign and rule is eternal and stretches to the farthest reaches of this earth. So dear friend, remember that. Remember that his reign and rule has been long foretold and that he is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament teaches. And remember this too, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that you hope and long for. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that you long for and hope for. You long for security. You long for stability. You long a place where you can be safe and where your family can be safe. We all long that, long for that. We all desire that. 
And what Jesus does is he comes to you and he says, I am the fulfillment of that longing. So therefore, dear Christian, trust him. He reigns and rules forever and ever. One day he will come again to judge the living and the dead and he will establish his kingdom here on this earth. And in the meantime, we look to him and say, yes, Jesus, you are the fulfillment of all that we need and desire. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray that by Jesus' spirit, you would apply Jesus to all of our hearts. I pray for those who are fearful. I pray that they would look to Jesus as the fulfillment of, 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 of the Old Testament, yes, Lord, but also the fulfillment of all that they long for and need. We need security, we need hope, we need stability. Lord, we will not find it in this world, but we will find it in this long-promised Messiah who is a king, who is the son of David and the son of God. By your spirit, apply this word to our lives for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.